I spent the last three years learning from some of the most ingenious mergers and acquisition specialists around. And now I've decided to take the leap into buying businesses. The real questions are how will I do it? How much of the behind the scenes can we really show? And how can business owners like you maximize their purchase price and build generational wealth? This show is going to give you the answers. Join me and follow along as I share mine and other stories as we buy, sell, or merge healthcare businesses and physical therapy practices. I'm Dave Kittle, and this is The Dave Kittle Show. Hey, welcome back to The Dave Kittle Show. Dave Kittle here. I'm the owner of Concierge Pain Relief Home Physical Therapy in New York City and the CEO of the Fieldmaker Group. We're currently speaking with practice owners about partnering or acquiring some or all of their practice in the New York and New Jersey area. And today we're going to be breaking down a public listing of a physical therapy practice for sale. And we're going to uh, talk with a few guests that have been on the show before. We're going to nicely and, and professionally kind of break this listing down. We're going to go through some of the pros and cons and also a little bit of like what we all look for in regards to evaluating and assessing a potential practice that is for sale or, or listed. So before we get into that, today we have Richard Lever and Steve Tolger, both from Alliance Physical Therapy Partners. And we're going to get into a little bit of their uh, backgrounds. If you guys haven't listened, Steve and Richard were both on the show before individual episodes. So you have to go back and check out a little bit more of a, a deep dive on each of them. Richard's the CEO and Steve's going to get into what he does there at Alliance. Steve and Richard, welcome back on. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, Steve, I'll let you uh, introduce yourself briefly. Yeah, it's, it's good to be back, Dave and Richard. Uh, always a pleasure. So I, I run our mergers and acquisitions here at Alliance Physical Therapy. We're about uh, over 100 clinics now around the country, uh, and we're pretty active and looking to partner with, with great therapists, you know, looking to either exit their business or grow their business. Really, we want to hear from you. and. You know, our goal is to partner with you and make it successful for both sides. So looking forward to the conversation today. Thank you. Welcome. Uh, thanks for welcoming me back, Dave. So obviously the first time we chatted went well and uh, excited to, to share some, some more information with your listeners. So thank you. Excellent. So I'm going to screen share this and just to preface everyone. So I'm not connected with Alliance. Alliance are doing their own thing. We're buying practices, my team at the Fieldmaker Group. But both of these guys, Steve and Richard, they're both very experienced, and I wanted to get them on here to kind of break one of these or more of these listings down. And just as a just for context, we're going to just do this to hopefully provide value for practice owners listening or watching, so that they can get a, a sense of how approximately other practices are valued, and also kind of like yourself, the practice owner, putting yourselves in a potential buyer's shoes. Like, what are we thinking about? What are we looking for? And we'll kind of pick apart nicely some places that like maybe look really appealing or other areas where we might have a little fear or doubt or uncertainty or, or something that would require a little bit more inspection. So we'll get into all that. So if you're watching on YouTube, you'll be able to see the screen share. If you are listening on iTunes or Spotify, definitely suggest that whenever you are available, jump over to the YouTube and uh, check out this listing. So right now, this is a a listing on bizbuysell.com. So this is public information. This is a physical therapy practice with an asking price of $1.25 million. We'll briefly go over the financials here. So we have gross revenue at $725,000, EBITDA listed at $365,000, FF&E, furniture, 
and equipment, $70,000. Furniture, fixtures, and equipment, $70,000. So that might be things like the treatment tables. It depends if you have a couple hundred dollar you know, treatment tables or the multi-thousand dollar treatment tables or any other equipment in your practice, like your laptops, your computers, those types of things. It does not list cash flow. So we're kind of probably going to mostly go off the EBITDA listing here and we'll get into that physical therapy practice. So doesn't really have a lot of inventory. The rent of this brick and mortar office is $2,983 per month. And this practice was established and founded in 2011. So fairly recent. I'm going to make a bunch of assumptions. We're going to go into more of this description. But most buyers, we're not going to be interested in practices that are startups or three years or less in existence. But this has at least this practice at least 10 years under their belt. So that's good. Let's go into the business description. So they're offering PTOT and SLP, highly profitable physical therapy clinic for sale, well-established business with room for expansion or growth, which every broker and advisor will say, we'll get into all these. I already see some smiles here. This five-star top-rated physical therapy rehabilitation clinic located in prime South Florida location. The owner established the first location in the year 2000 and has built up this practice. So Right there, I'm thinking like, okay, so now I need to look into this because it says 2000 and up here it says 2011. So sometimes there could be some mistyping in here. We're going to get into all that. This physical therapy center has a great reputation and is the highest rated physical therapy rehab center in Broward County. I have some family down in Broward County. It is beautiful down there. They get a lot of sunshine. This business has an amazing team of experienced therapists and staff that are willing to stay on with the new owners, obviously that's vital, crucial for all of us, but we're going to get Alliance, their side of things. This practice has a strong doctor referral network. The practice accepts all types of payment, let's hope so, including major medical insurance and most other insurance plans, including marketplace plans, auto insurance, workman's comp insurance, and self-pay payments. Our contracted rates are among the highest in the area. Owner is willing to partner. Okay, so this is look good, looking good. Owner's willing to partner and stay on as a therapist or consultant. They will provide training and consultation to any of us, the potential new owners, to get us up to speed. The buyer does not have to be a physical therapist to buy this practice, okay? And it says, I will be happy to discuss and answer any concerns you might have. So this is typically listed by some type of a broker or advisor, but not always. We went over the location, so it's leased seven employees, facility, they own 100% of all the equipment and tangible assets. Under growth and expansion, business operates on a, in a field that's, that is expected to grow up to 28 to 34% by 2026. I think that is supposed to be 2 to 4% or 2 to 6%. But anyway, again, I'll have Alliance jump in here and see what they say. This is correct, though, about the physical therapy clinics constitute a 35 to $40 billion industry. That is pretty close to correct, I believe. Current owner willing to train and boost new owners for continued success. Also open to staying on as a PT and or partner. And that is it for the listing. Okay. So we're going to get into the weeds here on some of these topics. Steve and Richard, either of you jump in. What are your just initial thoughts, initial takeaways here? I've never known a seller to actually offer to boost a new owner. So I'm not quite sure what boost means, but hopefully uh, it's not painful. Initial thought, it sounds a remarkable EBITDA, doesn't it? Um, So it sounds a little too good to be true. And I'm sure that as we we go through, we'll, uh, we'll definitely be chatting about why we came to that conclusion. So um, 
lots to unpack here, even though there's limited information. For sure. Steve, initial takeaways, initial thoughts. Yeah. Realistically, they, you know, if, if I just popped on this website and saw an asking price for 1.25 million, like that's not a astronomical number for a really good physical therapy clinic. So, you know, the asking price doesn't scare me. It's diving down a little bit deeper, seeing the numbers here. In all reality, a listing like this, what it's going to do is just generate more questions, right? And I think practice owners out there need to realize that the information like this given, yeah, it's a, it's a great snapshot. It might give you a conversation, but when talking to, I would assume someone like yourself, or definitely us, you know, we're going to require quite a bit more information than than what is this provided. If there's, yeah, I, I would say, if anybody is offering somebody a price off of just this listing, I would be very skeptical of who that buyer was. <laughs> Yeah, I agree with you. So I just did some just really quick math. If we take the EBITDA, or this could be adjusted EBITDA after addbacks, who knows, we would all get into that when we talk to the broker or advisor or the seller. But they're listing this adjusted EBITDA here at $365,000. If you multiply that by 3.5, it's a little over this asking price, but it's pretty much the asking price. So maybe call it 3.4 3.4 multiple, probably something in that range, which for a, a single location practice and this size of, of revenue, if, and that's a big if, but if the EBITDA or the adjusted EBITDA is actually commensurate with the financials and the ad backs and the ad backs that would be non-vital to the practice and that would not be on our business books if we acquired this practice or if Alliance acquired this practice, they would not be on the business books like next year. So if, and that's a big if, but if, then if the EBITDA is appropriately calculated and reported here as 365000 then that would be about a 3.4, 3.5 multiple on this EBITDA number, which is when we you're kind of looking at like, where did they come up with this asking price? You get back into it that way. There's other ways to do it. Of course, there's a lot more to, to dig in here. Any other thoughts here on on the EBITDA or the asking price? Yeah, a lot of questions, but... um, (laughs) (laughs) Many many questions. (laughs) um, Yeah, no, I mean, the multiple, a 3.5 multiple, and and realistically, uh, you know, for a good clinic that I've done diligence on in in today's environment, you know, I I would love to pay a three and a half multiple. In reality, that's that's, that's a great deal for us. But, you know, at a very high level... And we can we can go a little bit deeper on this, and, and maybe I'll let Richard chime in first, and then I'll I'll say what a little bit deeper on what I what I would initially say off just a quick metric that we look at. Yeah, so the, absolutely, the multiple sounds too good to be true, based on what current markets are, are really paying for private practice. But there's definitely a lot of smell here, and I think I smell something pretty bad because. As it stands at the moment, it's indicating a 58% profit margin. And uh, I would love to operate on a 58% profit margin, but the reality is is there are very, very few clinics in the country that are operating on that type of profit margin. Those that are have a very different type of structure than a, a single practice of of probably uh, 1,000, 1,500 square feet. So and that's the thing that really stands out to myself, Steve. Yeah, I mean, realistically, a good PT clinic these days runs about a 20% margin. You know, that's that's an attractive clinic that is making money. 
So you're you're well over double that, close to tripling that. So that's an immediate red flag for us. And if you do that math off of their now now gross revenue for a single clinic absolutely could be seven hundred twenty five grand, no doubt about it. That's totally feasible. But if you just do that simple twenty percent math, right, you're at about a an EBITDA of one hundred forty five thousand, right? So now look at that in the asking price, right? So you just went from a uh, you know a, a three and a half multiple <laughs> to almost uh almost you know an eight or nine off the top of my head, right? So that is a multiple that's unrealistic. If we would have gotten down to diligence and found out that it really was only one hundred forty five thousand, and they were still still expecting one point two five, that's not a multiple that's realistic in the, in the world today for a single clinic. Yeah, and I agree with both of what you guys said. Rather than first talking about the 3.4 or the 3.5 multiple on this presentation, I you're right, like especially with Richard said, with something over 50% EBITDA margins with physical therapy it just doesn't happen. It's just impossible. So I think with something like this that has a a gross revenue of 725,000 and some practices, if they're operated very well, could get an asking price or an offer well above even the revenue level. But even that doesn't always happen unless they're you know really dialed in. So what do you think if we were to... Con- well, not that we're going to, but if we were to have... Let's, uh, what would be amazing if we could have the broker or advisor on a show like this and just ask them directly? But we know that those things are usually behind the closed doors and private and confidential conversations. But if we had the broker here... Or between you guys analyzing a deal like this, because we've seen practices with some financials sometimes like this, and I would want to know like what you said, like how did, can you show us the math? Can you show us the list of ABACs? Can you show us like how you guys got to this 365,000 in EBITDA or probably adjusted EBITDA after a whole bunch of ADBACs? And the ADBACs probably also include like this owner could be, let's just say treating you know, 40 or 60 hours a week. And they're, they're putting everything in as if like, well, if they don't treat like that anymore, they don't think that we're going to have to like actually replace that revenue production of a, a full-time therapist, if that's the case. So we certainly would want to get into like, what's the list of, of ad backs? Can we see it? Can we have a zoom call or a phone call about it and just literally go by line by line and go through everything and kind of get your understanding. But something that, is showing 50 something percent EBITDA margins is very alarming, which is, you know, kind of what Richard said it nicer, but it, yeah. it is, it's something like, I don't even know if it would be possible to achieve common ground with this type of a broker or advisor or seller. What do you guys think? I think the, the first thing is, is when we look at businesses or clinics, or we look at different expenses being a percentage of revenue. Okay. And labor expenses between it varies, but it, let's say between approximately fifty to fifty-five percent of of revenue. So when we talk about addbacks, you'd have to add back literally everything and some of your labor to even get to an EBITDA of that amount. So you know, I think even if they do say that this is an adjusted EBITDA with addbacks, uh, I don't think there's much left. <laughs> yeah, for sure. What do you think, Steve? What are you thinking? You're you're in deep thought over here. What like you're running for the hills on this one, right? Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I would have moved on. Um, <laughs> mostly because look, 
And I think it's really important to remember when you're talking to a buyer or a seller, you know, it's just like anything else with it is, is you got to establish trust pretty early on. And I already, you know, if a seller was, com- you know, and, and I'm not saying a seller should, should fully understand how to sell their business and most don't. And that's why they work with a broker and that's okay. Uh, but my trust in either the broker who I'd be working with and the seller to think that this was, you know, acceptable thing to put out, it, it really kind of worries me further down the line of doing diligence, what else could I run into that seems way too good to be true, right? And then potentially, you know, purchasing a, a really bad asset. That's where my my brain really starts going. So if I saw this immediately, let's say it was very attractive for a footprint for Alliance, you know, I I, I would have already picked up the phone and said, if you want to move forward, I need the PL line by line and we need a call. To, to walk through it. And to your point, Dave, exactly what I would have said and said, you know, if that's something you're not willing to provide, that's, that's an immediate, you know, move on for me. If you're not willing to provide the information, it's, it's, it's over. I think there's, um, if I put my clinician operator hat on rather than CEO hat on, I think there's some other things that just don't seem to add up. What I mean by that is I take gross revenue in a very simplistic way. I'll look, okay, how many visits is that? Florida is not a great reimbursement state, but let's just say they have a great reputation. They do. They have negotiated these better rates, which is fantastic. But let's say it's $100 a visit, which is probably a little bit less than that in Florida. But let's give them the benefit of the doubt. That equates to about 140 visits a week. Okay. And I've never, uh, well, I don't think, pretty confident. I don't think I've ever seen a clinic that's made that type of EBITDA on 140 visits a week. The other thing is, not only do I look at the visits, I look at the rent. Now, rent can be broken down and you can work out what should be approximate square footage cost. And at $2,900 a month, you don't have a very big facility at all probably somewhere between 1,000 and 1,500 square feet, particularly when it says that it's in prime real estate. If it's in prime real estate, you're probably looking at about 500 square feet there. But but let's say I'll give them the benefit of the doubt and say perhaps it's not quite so prime. But uh, with a facility that's probably between 1,000 and 1,500 square feet, 140 visits a week, that kind of, again, just adds to my level of apprehension as it pertains to, to trusting the financials, perhaps. Yep. You already nailed it, Richard, because if you do the math, you know, they're paying uh, about and who knows if that rent includes, you know, cam fees or anything like that either, which you you don't know. There's not that information given. But, you know, as a percentage of revenue, it's less than 5%. And that's that's very cheap and almost hard to believe in most cases. So, you know, even even my, you know, quick two cents on this and anybody can do this, right, is I saw the county and I saw the square foot, but I, or I, I saw the price, but I didn't see the price per square foot. So I hop on. I'm sure everybody's heard of LoopNet. It's a public domain where you can go and look up what commercial property is going for. And so, you know, I hopped on there really quick and went to retail space in Broward County. And, you know, it's going to give you ranges, right? But I would say average, what I was seeing was maybe 25 bucks a square foot was there. So, you know, you do that math and and to Richard's point, yeah, that that number sticks out heavily. And, you know, if you're in a small space, there's only so much staff you can fit in there as well. So we can jump to staff next too. Um, but that 
that's the other operator metric we'd be you know very cons- like they said they have seven seven staff members right is that is that correct or am i mixing up something else i looked at maybe an hour ago that's, no that's that's, that's, that's correct yeah <laughs> they're all working in a broom cupboard so um yeah <laughs> Right. And, and when you see seven employees, I'm sure, Dave, in your mind, you're like, well, what kind of employees are those seven employees, right? Also, you're looking at revenue of 725000 over seven employees. Maybe they're not all PTs. Maybe there's, I don't know, three or four PTs. hundred grand per hundred grand in revenue or 110000 in revenue per employee. So Oftentimes, legally and compliantly, physical therapists can be generating 200,000, 300,000, maybe 250,000 in top line revenue per full time physical therapist. So it's kind of if you have, I guess, if three physical therapists full time would make sense, but then you'd have four support staff, which doesn't make sense. So then if you had a fourth or fifth physical therapist, then you would look and say, well, then this revenue looks light, unless those physical therapists are like, 15 or 20 hours a week. So those are the things you kind of have to dive into. Yep. 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 And to Richard's point, you got five physical therapists in a 700 square foot place. Um, they're going to be awfully close to each other. <laughs> going to be cozy, yeah. particularly when it's physical, occupational and the speech. So uh, that's pretty impressive to have all three disciplines with a, with about 140 visits a week in a, in a, in a broom closet. So um, hats off to them. I think, it, I think the other the other thing to say is is if you're going to put your business online, you can't put established on 2011 and then say the first location was 2000. You know, just that one thing alone just demonstrates that really, <laughs> you know, what, what can you say? <laughs> to be quite frank, it's table stakes. You know, I reached out to both of you cold over LinkedIn, and if my grammar was like real wacky like you probably wouldn't answer the message. You would probably, you know, like it would just cause so many questions and concerns. Like, you know what I mean? So when you see this, it's like, yeah, in the headline or in like the dashboard section of this, it says established 2011. That's a two digit typo one way or the other. Then it's saying 2000. So yeah, it just causes more concerns. And if there's like mistakes or grammar issues, like that is oftentimes could be the tip of the iceberg of other things to come. Yeah, they might be five star therapy, but uh, and they're not five star ad, are they? <laughs> right, right. This could be because of PT, OT, and speech. This could be a pediatric practice where some of the sensory gyms, autism, developmental delay, and speech is usually sometimes in a different room. But like, it's like a lot of equipment in like an open gym format. So if I had to make the assumption, that's that's probably what we would be looking at here with this type of practice. Yeah, that's very fair. So real quick, another thing, Richard, uh, a few comments ago, we were talking about size and space, but it says it's well-established with room for growth and expansion. I'd hope so. You need need room for growth and expansion, (laughs) literally. (laughs) And also, so it says the rent of $2,983 per month. Sometimes these listings will say in the description, like the square footage, but this one does not. So that's why we're kind of, we're riffing here on the space. But um, like Steve said, you could also just do some really quick, really quick research. Look up. We have Broward County. We know from these listings, you can oftentimes find approximately which practice it is or, you know, a, a short list of, of, of a few. But you could just contact the broker and sign a, an NDA or, and, and get the full picture anyway. But 
yeah, with the the approximate location, this county real estate is definitely expensive. When we talked about the the rent here, so we can kind of guesstimate the the spacing. So those are the types of things that we're we're looking at. So okay, so we broke down. We talked about revenue, the asking price. We talked about the EBITDA. Would you guys agree that this EBITDA based over 50% EBITDA margins, which is just wild. Like Steve said, it should be closer to like 20%. And that's for a good practice. But it could be like 9, 10, 11% oh, yeah. for a lot of practices. Oh, yeah. So when you see this, is this the biggest red flag? Or is it multiple major red flags with this type of a listing? It's multiple, but it's by far the the first and foremost reason of, uh, you know, I, I would have a hard time even reaching out asking for the financials on this deal just because of immediate kind of distrust with what they're trying to do. You know, it, it could be a lot of pain and effort to find out it is a it is a, a bad asset when, as we know, I mean, look, we're in the business of it just like you are, Dave, that there are really good clinics out there. And you have to find them, but those clinics deserve, you know, the time and attention and the exits that those owners have put in the sweat equity that they've built their businesses. And I'm more concerned in finding those than really in, in full transparency, you know, wasting my time looking at it at something like this when I'm like, there's just flags all over it. I think the point to make is obviously if you're going to sell your business, you want to put in the best light. I understand that. Okay. And if you embellish a little bit, then that's fine. You know, everyone wants to to put their best foot forwards and look look their best first potential suitor. But don't put numbers out there um, that are just obviously out of whack. As Steve says, it, it's so there's something just obviously wrong, which would then just really deter any serious buyer probably from from looking at it and. From a seller's perspective, this could attract people to ring up for more information because, yeah, who doesn't want EBITDA of, of nearly 400000 for a, a, million, a million quarter outlay? But the people that are going to be attracted and calling are probably not the people that will actually be able to run the business successfully or probably even buy it in the first place. Yeah, that's a great point that they're probably going to be novice, inexperienced, probably don't have a team around them. They probably don't have either wise counsel or a deal team or a full, you know, like a full, a full fledged company like you guys with Alliance. Some of the things that we've seen with some of these listings from brokers is especially coming out of COVID or even just some of these listings where I've never even connected with the the broker advisor. One of also my hunch, like you said, is like they want to put it in the best light possible. Of course, they want to get the highest purchase price and ask, you know, the, the highest offer and max value and top dollar. Of course, they want that, right? So there's an inflated, oftentimes an inflated EBITDA or adjusted EBITDA presented in the financials. And sometimes what we found is like, and even though there might be some, you know, legal loopholes in regards to write offs and deductions, but we found personal vehicles on the books, the families, all the, every family member's cell phone plan on the books, the, all their health memberships, their gym memberships, uh, the, the home mortgage. I mean, literally some practice owners don't run anything through their business. And then some practice owners run as much as possible or, or everything through their business. So with some of that, we'll say financial engineering, 
with some of those types of things, like that's how sometimes this could be presented in a way where the EBITDA margin is just like over, it's like 2x the national average, like Steve said, you know, well over 2x over national average. So just a little bit of a restating that and also kind of like reminding myself from some of the other uh, practices and deals that we looked at where they presented the financials in this way. And I'm trying to think like, if I was in that position, like, I don't know, I guess we would all do the same. I don't know. Or, or, or somewhere closer to reality, but ultimately it's the seller, the practice owner and their broker advisor who's helping them and advising them. And that individual with their history of like what they believe works, you know, there's all these factors, right? There's all these like, forces and there's all these factors as to like how something like this is presented. Yeah, I don't know what Steve's opinion on what I'm about to say is, but I get the the concept of adjustments to EBITDA. I've got no issues with that. And I understand as a small practice owner, yes, why wouldn't you take advantage of the tax codes and the laws? But if that adjusted EBITDA is more than 20% of actual EBITDA, to me, that kind of raises a red flag. And that perhaps that 20% needs, I need to think of it slightly differently for smaller practices. But, you know, there has to be certain bandwidth. Steve, what have you found with regards to kind of variance between adjusted and actual? Yeah, I would say, you know, it can be up to a swing of a, of 10% based off of adjusted and regular very easily. I will say, you know, our analysis of adjusted EBITDA is always different than the brokers. And that's where you're always going to, you know, there's always going to be disagreements on what the actual margin is, because there's going to be disagreements on what the actual EBITDA is. And that's the reality of it. So it can be a, a rather, rather big swing. But have I seen a business have a 5% actual EBITDA margin and move to closer to a 17 or 18%? Absolutely. It can happen. I mean, their adjustments are real, to your point, and they need to be validated through valuation. And that's that's what that's what we do. So practice owners absolutely deserve those adjustments. I'm not going to pay for that vehicle lease post-closing. So that is an adjustment. Yep, you're absolutely right. So I don't want to discredit that adjustments don't exist at all, but they can swing heavily. I mean, I, I've seen... I've definitely seen, to your point, Dave, of, of a business, a, a pretty large group run everything through the business, a large group of clinics. And in a way, it was almost impossible to value because of how many adjustments they had that were personal on it. But it's going to happen. And, and just, I, I will say, too, I don't want sellers, some sellers get a little bit nervous about sharing that information because they're like, oh, I, I, you know, I don't want to, first of all, we're not the IRS, so I, I you know, I. That, I just, that's a good thought. point. We're we're not doing any whistleblowing. We know that there right. was what eighty seven thousand IRS agents yeah. recently uh, hired in the past six months right. or something. Right. But you're right. We just need to know the truth, and Correct. we're not going to report anything. Correct. We signed an NDA, and that's why it's there. And be honest with us, because the more honest you are, the easier, the smoother the process. So I, I could care less if you ran your, your family vacation through the business. I'll be honest with you. Just tell them. I do want to focus on, you know, I, we did pick this one. And, and Dave, I, I, we'd love to come on again and do a, do a listing that makes more sense just to see like we dogged this one a little bit too much. But I do want to give this listing a little bit of credit here and there. 
I think you mentioned on it early on. The biggest pro to this listing is the owner's willingness to stay on, right? You know, that's an immediate plus for us. Anybody in the physical therapy business, and Richard probably would give us a better description than me, but it is a relationship business. So it is very difficult for somebody like us to come along and take a business and the owner just to immediately exit into the sunset because in reality, that owner built that business, built the relationships with the with the referrals, with the patients, and it needs to be a very smooth transition. And without that, it's, it's very difficult for, for someone like us to get comfortable with, with purchasing a, a business. For this size of a practice, if let's say if it presented more appropriate financials, we would love for us, we would love for this type of a this type of an owner, if we were to move forward to day for at least six months, but at the very least a year, what, I don't know if you guys are, have different transitional periods, depending on the size of the practice. And I don't know if you have something like a, a fixed rule or a, a flexible guideline for this type of a practice of this location. I can't even recall if you guys have some other practice in this area of Florida in South Florida or not for this type of a deal. Would you require this practice owner to stay one year, a year and a half, two years with like, do you have any thoughts there? It's very dependent on what the owner's responsibilities are today. So, you know, there are practices out there that we've partnered with where the owner built the business, but really kind of the last maybe couple of years doesn't treat anymore is really just the owner, right? And has passed on the reins to let's say the clinic director who's actually running the business day to days and and is the one running it. Those are very rare. And and if that's the situation, maybe that time period is shorter. But realistically, in most situations of a single clinic that we talk to this these, it's an owner-operated business, right? Where that owner is in the in in there every day, seeing patients, managing the relationships, and doing, you know, even the back office work. So you know, of a of a single clinic like this, a year is is minimal for us. And do you guys have other clinics that I Alliance either owns or operates in South Florida or no? No, I think we knew you didn't have one either. So I uh, thought it was maybe a good idea to pick one, you know, that, to discuss that neither of us <laughs> would cause any issues for. Um, yeah. So, so in, in that case, like either of us, if we didn't, you know, if we don't have a foothold in that area, then we certainly would love the owner's support to be there as much as possible for at least a year. And maybe depending on, you know, getting into the financials, maybe even two or three years, depending on their goals, depending on, are they still treating or not? Are they just kind of managing the day to day? What if this owner for this size of a practice, like with Alliance, I know you guys, we talked about with Richard when he first came on about partnerships and all that. So for this type of practice, so you guys don't have a practice in the South Florida area, would this be a practice where if the financials looked a little more appealing, where you guys would want to not acquire 100% and have the practice owner retain 20, 30%? And I don't, if you don't want to discuss it, that's totally fine. But so that they had a little bit more skin in the game. And I don't know whether we talk about rollover equity or not, but like as opposed to selling 100%, would that factor into the conversation for you guys for this type of a practice? I think at a very high level, 
without getting into specifics, I think there's there's a couple of things. The definitely maintaining a, a minority equity component of significant value to encourage the legacy owner to stay. So we definitely like that concept. With regards to where we decide to partner geographically is really based on a, a, a larger strategic plan. A clinic isn't really going to, or a clinic or a, a handful of clinics are unlikely to sway the overarching strategic plan that a company like ourselves and bigger, bigger entities have. If it was a large group of clinics, one may consider a certain geography that's outside of the original strategic plan, but even still, it would have to be an extremely attractive asset to do that. I don't know if you have anything else to add, Steve, to that. No, no. You know, keeping equity absolutely drives, drives you know, the owners to to work hard and can eventually pay off for them. But, you know, it, it is more likely to be in, in a larger transaction than a, a single practice. Awesome. I think that's a good place to pause. Steve, Richard, I really appreciate your time. What would be a good place, whether your main website for Alliance, LinkedIn, email address, what's a good place for anyone in the audience if they like what they heard from you guys or they just want to reach out to either of you or Alliance to learn more about your opportunities? Uh, Steve, do you want to give your email address? Yep, yep. And I'll make sure when the when the podcasts are posted to write a comment under it. But if you are interested, please reach out to to me. My email, you can find it, you know, on Alliance website or through LinkedIn if you want to find me. But my my Alliance email here is Steve.tolger T O L G E R at AlliancePTP.com. Happy to chat with anybody, even if you're just thinking about it. It's all about having that first conversation. So please do reach out. And uh, Dave, thanks again. It's always a pleasure. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Thank Thank you for your time. If the owner of the practice wants to call Steve, then uh, by all means. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Richard. Thank you. Let let us know how it goes. I'm not part of Alliance, so you probably wouldn't. But (laughs) Maybe I'll record it for you guys. All right. Thank you, guys. We'll catch you next time. If you guys, the audience, if you find this interesting, helpful, valuable, comment, thumbs it up, subscribe. You'll get notified of future episodes like this that are published. And we're helping to put out content to help practice owners learn about the exiting, the selling some or more of their practice, their transitional and exit strategy options out there. We'll catch you next time here on The Dave Kittle Show. Bye. Hey, it's Dave Kittle. Are you a healthcare business owner or physical therapy practice owner who is looking to figure out your succession plan or exit strategy? We might be able to help. And in fact, we may be interested in acquiring your practice. If you're interested, you can reach out to me. Shoot me an email at dave at conciergepainrelief.com. That's D-A-V-E at C-O-N-C-I-E-R-G-E, painrelief.com or You can call me at any time, 646-781-8884.